Today, we are concluding our journey through Abraham's story. The title for today's message is the same as the title for this series, The Gospel of Abraham. The gospel is the good news. And Abraham's life and story proclaims to us this good news. And I believe this good news will cause us to be thankful. It'll cause thankfulness to abound in the heart of the believer. And when we get a glimpse of the gospel of Abraham, this story that we've been looking at, the heart will overflow with gratitude at its beauty. And like Abraham and Sarah, as we looked at last week, will be filled with wonder. One of the reasons we embarked on these series, because really they've been kind of like mini-series, kind of like a Russian nesting doll series. Um, In the, the book of Genesis, we've had the gospel of Adam, the gospel of Noah, the gospel of Abraham. Next year, we'll cover the gospel of Isaac and the gospel of Jacob. And it's a bunch of mini-series within a larger series to get us through the story of Genesis. But uh, the reason we embarked on this is because when we were in our series on the letter to the Hebrews, we saw the testimony of faith of many of these figures in the Old Testament, many of their lives. So we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into their stories. And what the letter to the Hebrews does and what other books of the New Testament do is show us how to understand Genesis and the Old Testament. It gives us a lens to look at these things through, how to understand them. The Old Testament on its own is like a story missing an end. You can't really understand the Old Testament's meaning, especially an account like we'll look at today, without seeing Christ in the New Testament. Because it is in Christ that the expectation of the Old Testament finds its consummation. Now, it's easy to fall into the trap of taking these stories in isolation and finding moralistic messages in them. This story in particular is often used to highlight obedience, be sold out to God, no matter how crazy the command is, do it. Perhaps you've heard it this way, God is going to require you to give up everything for him. Abraham was willing to give up Isaac. What do you have that's more important to God? You better give it up. But to take the Bible and compact it and collapse it into these easily digested morsels of morals or a list of requirements misses the point completely. It brings nothing but condemnation. I've heard many of those messages throughout my life. And it brings nothing but condemnation. We need to see that the key to this passage and really the key to the entirety of the Bible is Christ. And so what we actually see when we read through the scriptures is that that is actually made clear to us when we get to the new covenant. Even Jesus said in Luke 24 that the scriptures spoke of him. So this climactic moment in Abraham's life that we're going to read about today, uh, the the story of the binding of Isaac is tense, it's mysterious, it's riveting. In this story are the echoes of the gospel. Author Chad Bird called this chapter the passion of Abraham. Passion here meaning to suffer, to endure. Um, We're familiar with the term the passion of Christ. There was a movie that came out years ago, The Passion of the Christ. It reveals a little bit also about the passion of God, the Father. And so as we work through this, I want you to consider what the Father, Heavenly Father, went through when he did not spare his own son. 
We're going to look at this final passage in our series by looking at three things, the command, the provision, and the promise again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we're able to be here and fellowship together, be encouraged. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive your word this morning. Father, this morning, we need you. I need you. And I just ask that you'd speak through me and uh, help us to, to grow more in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the command. Uh, let's read Genesis 22, 1 through 5. It'll be on the screen, or if you have uh, your Bible, Bible app, beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abram, uh, Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, as we look at Abraham's life, we've seen that there are times uh, where it almost seems like the way that God communicates to him is almost more akin to like a drama, uh, a play, a performance, or maybe even a graphic novel. It's visual rather than just simply words. This is another one of those moments. It's vivid imagery, imagery that displays God's faithfulness and his character in ways that words alone just cannot convey. We saw this with the smoking pot and blazing torch in Genesis 15 when God cut a covenant with Abraham. We saw it with the meal shared between Abraham and the Lord last week. We saw it even with the laughter of Sarah and how God brought her real laughter. So this is visual storytelling. We see it today again in a very striking way. Verse 1 says, this is a test. You and I know that. God knew that. Abraham did not know that. Job was tested but he didn't know he was being tested. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but it's a little bit easier to take a test if you know the test is coming. A little bit of time to prepare, right? Now, we who read this, we have the perspective of the narrator, the perspective that those in the story typically do not have. So Abraham doesn't know that this is a test. What is the test? I'm glad you asked. God tells him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, the Jewish interpretation of this word from the Lord is really interesting. These ancient Jewish writers saw this command as a sort of dialogue between God and Abraham, though no words are actually being said from Abraham to God. It's just God speaking to him when we read it. But they see it as God dialoguing with Abraham's thoughts. It's interesting to note that the Hebrew order of this is slightly different than our English translations. And as you read it, it narrows down like God is having a conversation with Abraham, like he's responding to Abraham's thoughts. So God says, take your son. Abraham thinks, well, I have two sons. Your only son. Well, Isaac is the only son of Sarah, 
And Ishmael is the only son of Hagar, whom you love. Well, I love them both. Isaac. Silence. These same Jewish writers say that this is a parallel to Genesis 12. There God said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Notice how slow that is. It narrows down as it goes. And you can almost hear Abraham's thoughts. Well, I'll take my whole family. I'll take my father's household. Well, where are we going? I'll show you. In fact, the command in today's passage to go to the land of Moriah, to one of the mountains I'll show you, echoes this first command that God gave to Abraham to go. The Hebrew literally means get you out. Go yourself going. Where? I'll show you. To what mountain? I'll show you. And there offer Isaac as a burnt offering. Okay. I think this parallel between chapters 12 and 22 also helps us to understand a little bit about what this test is all about. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, this account is often used to highlight obedience. And obedience is a good thing. I want that to be clear. Obedience is a good thing. I'm not harping against obedience. God is testing whether Abraham, the way that many people view this is that God is testing whether Abraham would truly obey him or not. And I do think that obedience is a part of this account, but I don't believe that the test is ultimately to see whether Abraham would really obey. Will he really do whatever God says? Or whether he would really give up everything? I think it's to show, as Romans 4 shows us, that the promise depends on faith so that the promise will rest on grace. In chapter 12, we have the first telling of this promised offspring, the promised child. Abraham had no children at that time, and he was told to go, and God would bless with a child. He would bless him with provision and so much more. And here in chapter 22, he has children, specifically the child of promise, Isaac. And now he's being told to go offer up that blessing. Abraham is tested. Things don't look great. The command seems to contradict God's promise. It seems irrational. It seems confusing. And it would lead Abraham to death and despair. But Abraham had the word of God on the other hand, his promise, saying that through this son would come one who will bless all nations. The promised seed of Genesis 3. Is God going back on his word? What will Abraham believe here? What will he do? Well, just as Abraham obeyed in chapter 12, the very next morning, Abraham, Isaac, and two of Abraham's young men loaded up and started the journey to Moriah. Now, Moriah is not just 30 minutes away or something. It's a three-day journey in a mountainous terrain. And so for three days, Abraham has to think about all that God is commanding here. He's wrestling with God's promises and his command. He's wrestling with all these thoughts, all the years of God reiterating the promise. He's remembering the covenant. He's remembering the seal of the covenant. All the years of waiting, all the years of struggle, all the doubt, all the fear, and now God is taking away the promise. I also imagine Satan 
is right alongside whispering accusations in Abraham's ear. You're a fool. Did God really say that? Does God really love you? Hey, remember all those times you tried to sell Sarah off as your sister? You sinned too many times. So this is truly a dark night of the soul. I imagine Abraham did not sleep a wink during this journey. I picture him sitting outside, maybe around a fire, staring into the night sky. Only this time, maybe he can't see the stars of the sky. He doesn't see the promise of descendants. He feels alone, it's dark. There was another night, much like that, Jesus was alone in a garden, talking to his father, pleading with him that the cup of his wrath would pass. But Jesus pressed on. And Abraham pressed on. And on the third day, I hope you're starting to see a little bit of the drama here. On the third day, they arrived. Notice in verse 5, Abraham says, and come again to you. This is him saying that he and the boy will return. He's, he's using a plural phrase here. Literally, we're coming back. As I was studying this, I was reminded of Romans 4.18, where Paul, speaking of Abraham, says, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So even when there was no glimmer of hope throughout all these years, Abraham hoped. Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead, and she gave birth to the promise. There wasn't any hope in this moment of Abraham's life, and yet he hoped as he began to make his way toward Moriah. But he hoped against hope. Though everything on the outside looked like there was no chance, like it was impossible, though God was asking him to offer up the promised son, he trusted, despite all the thoughts and confusion he must have had. So Abraham, Abraham has this command He has the promise, and now we're going to see the provision. Let's read verses 6 through 14. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, son, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Again, I want to draw your attention to what is communicated visually here. Abraham lays the wood for offering on Isaac's back the back of the promise. Abraham is looking at the promise right in front of him. And he lays that wood on top of him. He knows what God has told him to do. He takes the fire and the knife. The fire would have been a burning torch of some sort. 
with which to light the fire of the burnt offering. Perhaps Abraham saw this and thought of the blazing torch that had gone through the sacrifice all those years ago. Sign of God's presence cutting the covenant. The knife to make the sacrifice, the shedding of blood. Maybe he thought of the sign of the covenant, circumcision, the cutting away of the flesh. These are emblems of God's covenant and promise. In verses 7 and 8, we have the only time recorded in Scripture where Abraham and Isaac speak to each other. I'm sure they spoke to each other more than this. (laughs) Isaac asks where the lamb for the offering was, and Abraham replies, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so Abraham is trusting, despite doubt, that however this will work out, God will provide the lamb for the offering. And though the command seemingly contradicts the promise... Abraham is trusting, though he's conflicted. And this is what drives Abraham up the mountain. It's not, I can do this, or I must do this. It's, God will do this somehow. Hebrews eleven seventeen and 18, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, though Isaac shall, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So what we see there is he is obeying in faith the command while holding on to the promise. Though they seemingly contradict. So they arrive at this place where God had commanded up on Mount Moriah. Abraham began to put things in order. He built the altar and then he bound his only son whom he loved, Isaac. Isaac had asked, where is the lamb? And if I was to sum up the Old Testament in a single phrase, that's it. Where's the lamb? The expectation of the promise has been in this story over and over since we began these series through Genesis. In Genesis 3, we were told of the promised seed of the woman, the serpent crusher, who would restore things to the way they were meant to be. And Eve thought it was one of her sons, but it wasn't. Lamech thought it was his son Noah. He wasn't, though he pointed the way to us. Abraham's son was a promised son, but not the promised son. But the expectation of faith was that he was coming through Isaac. And now Isaac is bound and laid on top of the wood. And Abraham raises the knife, and the angel of the Lord speaks. We talked a little bit last week about a theophany or a Christophany. Uh, This is what that is, the angel, the messenger of the Lord, the one who bears the word of the Lord. This is not merely an angel or an, English is hard, a messenger. He is the definite article, the angel, the messenger. He is the word. The word speaks It is Jesus speaking. Now, this is not to say that Jesus is an angel. When we see this word translated as angel, we must recognize that, first of all, the word in the original language just meant messenger. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus speaking. He's not even in a bodily form at this moment. He's speaking from heaven. It is Christ himself who stops this sacrifice. He who will then one day become the sacrifice to spare Isaac and all of us along with him. The Lord then provided a ram, 
And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him there was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The ram caught in the thicket was offered up instead of Isaac in his place as a substitute. So Abraham names the place the Lord will provide. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. On this Mount Moriah, Yahweh Yira. Literally, the Lord will see to it. Are you seeing the picture little bit by little bit here? Now, Mount Moriah was not a random location. From Mount Moriah, you can see the story of Scripture. It explains to us the whole purpose of the sacrificial system. Here in this same place, some 600 years later, David would intercede for Jerusalem. David had sinned. He disobeyed God. And the Lord sent a plague. In 1 Chronicles 21, you can read about it, David sees this terrifying scene. It says, And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, and in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. Terrifying. So he buys this land, the same place, was a threshing floor at that time, the same place where Abraham offered up a ram instead of his son, And there David made offerings of oxen, and the plague was stopped. Then on this exact same location, his son Solomon built the temple. Abraham, David, and Solomon all tied together here with sacrifices, all in this one place. And here, one day, many years later, the Lord would again see to it. Continue. The the promise is reiterated here in verses 15 through 19. Beginning in verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies." And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So the angel of the Lord, again, this is a Christophany. This is Jesus speaking from heaven, not yet incarnate, but eternally the Son of God. He speaks, and he reaffirms the promise to Abraham. Even back when he spoke in verse 11, he was already beginning to reassure Abraham about the promise. There he said, Abraham, Abraham, the name, of, the name that God had given him, a name tied directly to the promise. He's reaffirming this promise, and now he offers a pledge of assurance. This pledge is picked up on in Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6, 13 and tw- through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. So God swore on himself, and God cannot lie. He is saying, Abraham, everything you have believed is true, it's real. Though Isaac was the promised child to you and Sarah, he's not the ultimate fulfillment. That seed is coming. That fulfillment is coming. The ultimate promised one is coming. And though it wasn't clear to Abraham, we have the perspective of the narrator. And we can see this more clearly now because the mystery of the gospel has been revealed. The very one speaking in this moment, the word of the Lord would become flesh. He is the offspring who would come. Abraham believed God. He obeyed. His story cannot simply be collapsed into a story of good moral lessons of obedience. Rather, his story is the story of faith, responding to that grace that came to him, looking to the promise ahead. And so we come to the end of Abraham's story in Genesis 25, 7 through 11. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham had purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roe. Your guess is as good as mine. Now, to be fair, Abraham's story doesn't really end here. All you have to do is read through the New Testament. Galatians 3, the letter to the Hebrews, we see that Abraham's story continues to this day. His story proclaims the gospel, the good news, to us even now. So what have we learned from this story? I want to connect some dots here. Is Abraham's life all about obedience? Is it all about being perfect and faithful? His story, when seen through the new covenant eyes that we have today, maybe more explicitly than any other, shows us that it's not about any of those things. It's not to say obedience is a bad thing, but only if it's the obedience born of faith. Obedience from faith is good. Abraham obeyed because of his living faith. It was the response of faith. We who are believers obey not because we have to, not because we have to get up this mountain, get to God, but because he's put his spirit in us and it's bearing, he is bearing fruit in us. None of this happens by telling yourself, do better, work harder, get up that mountain, obey more, do good, be more committed. We have the story of Abraham to show us that what God commands or requires, he gives us through the Son. And so we have this story to show us in a visceral, dramatic way what the Father does with the Son. The gospel of Abraham is this. Long ago, God made a promise that one day the seed from whom all blessings flow would come. Just as the promised son came to Abraham and Sarah after a long time of waiting, Jesus came into the world. He became flesh. 
Just as Isaac brought laughter to Sarah, Jesus brought laughter to those like Mary, his mother, Elizabeth, her cousin, and John. Even as an infant in his mother's womb, they were filled with joy. Just as Isaac, years later, rode towards Moriah on a donkey, Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. Isaac made the journey up the mountain with the wood of the offering on his back. So Jesus made the journey up Golgotha, a hill on this very same mountain with the wood of the cross on his back. Isaac asked, where's the lamb? The expectation of the lamb, the expectation of the Old Testament. As the song says, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. John the Baptist saw Jesus on the shore of the Jordan River and he answered that long expectation. Where is the Lamb? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Abraham answered Isaac saying, God would provide my son. How will he do it? God will see to it. God does see to it by providing through Abraham the son who is God's own son the seed of Abraham through whom all nations will be saved. Isaac did not fight off his father when he was being bound and laid upon the altar. Jesus, the ultimate submissive son, was obedient to the point of death. He did not fight off his captors. Instead, like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. He followed the word of his father and for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus prevented Isaac from being sacrificed by crying out the name of Isaac's father, Abraham, Abraham. On the cross, Jesus became the sacrifice for Isaac, for you and for me. And he cried out to his father saying, my God, my God. The drama of Isaac being offered took place on the third day of their journey. In Hebrews, the writer says, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Jesus, just like Isaac lives, is risen on the third day from the grave. Twice, the angel of the Lord Jesus says to Abraham, you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. We hear the echoes of this in Paul's famous passage in Romans 8, where he shows that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Why? Because God the Father, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God spared Isaac, but he did not spare his own son. The Lord said to Abraham, for now I know that you fear God because you did not withhold your son. We now stand at the foot of the cross and we can flip these words around to our heavenly father. Now I know that you love me because you did not spare, you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you loved from me. What God did at the cross with his son is what Abraham did not need to do. Here in the early chapters of the Bible, we have the shadow of the cross, giving a glimpse of God's plan for the salvation of his people outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Not far from this exact location that we see in the story, Jesus, the second Isaac, the truer and better Isaac, the lamb of God was sacrificed. The promised seed was sacrificed. The one who stops the plague of the Father's wrath was sacrificed. The one whose body was the temple was sacrificed. 
The story of scripture, the story of redemption is told at Mount Moriah. God promised to bless all nations through the offspring of Abraham. And Jesus is that offspring. His blessing is to the ends of the earth. The prophet Isaiah wrote, is it too light a thing for this to go to the ends of the earth? Is it too hard for God to bring salvation to the ends of the earth? And so here's the ultimate test. Will you believe God's word of promise? The word who became flesh, who lived and died and rose again from the depths of the grave. Believe on him. Trust him. And proclaim him to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we know you love us now because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love. Father, I ask that we would be filled with wonder this morning as we consider that. As we consider this marvelous story of redemption, woven through thousands of years, many different authors, all pointing us to the Lamb of God. We now look back. We now know who the Lamb of God is. We thank you for the Lamb. That he came, that he lived a perfect life, that he willingly went to the cross on our behalf as a substitute for our sin. The wrath that we deserve, he took so that we might be saved. Father, I ask that if there's anyone here who has not yet been born again, that they would behold the Lamb this morning. That they would respond in faith. And believe on him. Father, we thank you. And we praise you for your mighty works. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>